Well, good evening, everybody, and we welcome you to our final edition of this year's The Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Behind the Bench show. A big thank you to Boardwalk Hardwood Floors for allowing us to bring you the show over the course of this season. It'll take a small hiatus during the offseason here, and we'll get it back once we know once the start of the National Hockey League season for next year is getting set to get rolling. It's going to be an interesting offseason for the Blues. Obviously, we've got the draft coming up in early October, right after the Stanley Cup is awarded. Free agency right after that. Are there trades to be made to free up cap to sign Alex Petrangelo? Can they sign Alex Petrangelo? We now know that Vladimir Tarasenko is going to be out another five months as he has to have shoulder surgery again. The third surgery on that same shoulder. How do the Blues adjust to the roster issues? How do they still manage the COVID issues? And then, of course, there's when does the season start? And as of now... Honestly, nobody knows. The National Hockey League, just like it was doing in the months during the summer trying to figure out how to return to play, are going to have to determine what the safest and best way to return to play for the new season is going to be and when do you start it. One of the key factors that will play a role in that is when they will be able to put fans in the stands. It is critically important, and they will do what they can to delay the season as much as they can, both economically and and schedule-wise, to be able to play an 82-game schedule and do as many of them with as many fans in the stands as possible. So again, it's Boardwalk Carbo Floors Behind the Bench Show. I'm Chris Kerber. Glad to have you with us tonight. A great show, a big one tonight. We're going to spend time talking with Blues head coach Craig Berube, and then when we come back from him, we've got two segments with Doug Armstrong, and we go through everything from Vladimir Tarasenko's injury to Justin Falk, to the young players, to Clem Costin, to what happened in the bubble, to how they move ahead, and of course, we talk a lot about Alex Petrangelo with the Blues general manager, Doug Armstrong, coming up. And all of that is between now and 7 o'clock. So stay tuned for a real quick, fast-paced, and information-loaded hour on the Boardwalk Carpet Floors Behind the Bench show. Hey, if you're tired of looking to stain carpet and scuffed vinyl, we would love to help you increase the style and the value of your home with Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. When considering new flooring in your home, real wood is the healthiest option and provides the best long-term value. Boardwalk is a local family-owned business providing quality floors in our community for more than 22 years. Boardwalk has great floors for every home with better selection, better value, and the best service. Don't just take our word for it. Check out the reviews on Google. Visit one of our three area showrooms and online at boardwalkhardwood.com. You know, as I was planning the show tonight, We've got a whole bunch of sound that we're gonna we could play to you. All the different players met with the media via Zoom uh, over the last couple of days, and instead of just giving you the sound of what they said, well, here's why we think we lost, or here's why we think what happened, or here's you know what we think happened in the bubble. I decided I'm not going to do that. We're focused on two things here in this opening segment before we get to Craig Berube. If you want all the sound of that, I encourage you to log on to StLouisBlues.com. Pull down, if you haven't downloaded the St. Louis Blues app, all those Zoom meetings and calls in its their entirety are on the app. So that's where you can go for that. But I was thinking back on this season, and for me, one thing just kept coming to mind. No matter how I break down this season, one thing comes to mind. Jay Bowmeister. Look, folks, I'm telling you, that day in Anaheim where he collapsed on the bench, and we didn't know who it was initially. And we had to go through process of elimination. And we're not even sure how to handle the broadcast at that point. Uh, when we saw the arms shoot up after they pulled out the paddles and basically brought him back to life. And again, this was on the father's trip. So Jay's dad was there. Jay's dad was in the, in the suite. And, and it was Jay's dad's, or Jay, it was Jay's mom that called up 
Jay's father and said, it's Jay, and they went down there, and, and Mr. O'Reilly went down with them. They were the first ones to get down there, and then the waiting afterwards and the unknown. Folks, it was an impactful moment of this season. It's a moment that has kept, yeah, I've kept in perspective because at one point in time we really were wondering if we were on the air broadcasting the end of somebody's life. Uh, and I'm not trying to bring you down. I'm, I'm not. I don't. I'm not trying to do that. Obviously, things have turned out extraordinarily well, and Jay is good. No, he's not going to be playing hockey anymore. But his health is good. We did touch base with him, you know, during this playoff run just to check in and see how he's doing. But a couple of the players were asked about Jay Bowmeister in their season media sessions, season-ending media sessions. And I thought the respect and what they have for Jay Bowmeister and what he meant to them is really important. And to me, it really wraps up how close this team was. So first off, here's Alex Petrangelo talking about what Jay Bowmeister meant to him. I can talk for hours about how much Bo has meant to me as a player. I mean, obviously, we played hundreds of games together as partners in Olympic and World Cup, and the list goes on and on. And, um, you know, he's really a, a reason why I am the player I am today. I mean, he, he impacted me in so many, so many ways, but um, anytime you have someone who's in a situation, whether you went through what Bo went through or, you know, they retire or whatever it may be, I mean, you miss the person, right? And uh, we've been here together for a long time and he's seen me grow up, you know, as a player and as a person. And, uh, you know, we became obviously really close friends or wives are close and I'm going to miss having him around if that's the decision that he makes. I, I haven't talked to him about that, but just not having him around here for the few months that he was gone. It's, uh, it wasn't easy. So I know everyone in the locker room is going to miss him. He's obviously a, a fun guy to have around. That's Alex Petrangelo. How about another veteran, Alexander Steen on Jay Bowmeister? Yeah. I mean, everyone knows what he was like as a player, uh, what he is like as a player, the professionalism that he brings on every day. He's when he speaks, everyone listens because he doesn't talk a ton, but when he does, he's, it's something important that he needs to bring up and, and it's always the right time to do it as well. Um, it's a great feel and sense for the game and what he, what he feels the team new, needs to move forward. So there's a lot of leadership qualities in, in Jay that we're going to miss as a group. Um, you know, as a friend, it, it's been, uh, it's been a lot of emotions, uh, you know, throughout this year. Um, when he came to St. Louis, I think that was a big, huge lift for our club at the time. It was, uh, I think we knew we were going to be competitive for a long time um, when he came and decided to stay and uh, that this is where he wanted to be. He believed in this and, and um, you know, he is going to be very missed if he decides to um, hang him up and uh you know, we'll cross that bridge when we get there, but it's, uh, he definitely has brought a lot to our team, our community, and to me as a friend and, and my family. So as again, as we wrap up this season, that, that to me is one of the things I'm going to take out of this season is we saw the end to a heck of a hockey career. It was in near tragic fashion, but it ended up turning out to be a positive. But how his players react to him and how his teammates think of him is something that I think I'm going to carry with me for a long time. All right, the other big topic now as we move into the offseason, before we get to Craig Berube, it, of course, is Alex Petrangelo. Here's Alex Petrangelo talking about his desire to stay a blue. I grew up here. This is the only place I know, um, you know, professionally. It's uh, obviously, you know, family's here. I grew up here. 
uh, grew up here as a player and as a person, like I just said before. So, you know, it's part of the business, unfortunately. And uh, the situation is what it is. But uh, hopefully that, that circumstance doesn't happen and we'll see where this thing takes us. And finally, staying a blue, part of that question that he has to weigh, legacy. I don't think a lot of players worry too much about legacy as they're playing. But Alex is at a unique crossroads where if he signs with the St. Louis Blues, and as Doug Armstrong will tell us in a little bit, hopefully retire as a St. Louis Blue, if that's the case, he may go down as the best defenseman to ever play for the St. Louis Blues. He'll hold every record. Here's Alex Petrangelo talking about legacy. You know, legacy is obviously important. This, this organization means a lot to me, right? It, it certainly, uh, and, and, you know, you see Al come around and see all the other alumni who are around regularly. That means a lot, right? It's guys who have a great relationship with the organization that have been around and really set their roots in, in St. Louis. Um, you know, but whether it's here or somewhere else, and you want to play to the best of it, to your ability and leave a legacy wherever you are. And that goes along with, you know, on the ice and off the ice and, and trying to impact the organization and the community. So whether it's here or anywhere else, I think it's important for me uh, to really kind of, you know, set my roots wherever it is. And, and I know my wife feels the same way. Well, I guess we now just have to wait and find out if that legacy becomes a reality. All right, we're getting rolling here on tonight's edition of the Boardwalk Carbon Floors Behind the Bench show. When we come back, we kick it off with the Blues head coach, Craig Berube, right here on 101 ESPN. All right, let's talk it over with the head coach of the St. Louis Blues, Craig Berube. And Craig, uh, first off, welcome back to St. Louis. Uh, Have you had a chance to mentally process the experience of the last month or so? Um, Yeah, for sure. You know, just think, uh, you know, just going over everything in your head and maybe what we could have did a little bit better or, you know, to you know, to have a better result and, and all those things. We've talked to coaches and uh, general manager and players. And, you know, I think we're all on the same page of why we failed. And, you know, just, you know, something that happens. So you got to make sure, don't we you know, we got to be better next time. Well, what were some of the things that, that, that you can point to that just didn't quite click the way you wanted it to and why? Well, I didn't think that we had everybody playing at a high enough level for sure defensively we weren't good enough and I, you know I didn't think that uh, you know we helped their goalies out much but they, they they have to be better too and we just needed more guys going and we didn't we didn't have it do you think that was a break scenario more bubble scenario are you able to put your finger on something like that um no I don't think I think it was just a weird situation for our team going there and, and um you know, we just we didn't get going right away when we were there, and then we started to play better. But sometimes it's too late then. You know, you got to be ready to go from the get go and be prepared. And I just didn't feel that we were just you know 100 percent prepared and bought in. With as strong willed and as your team was, and, and resilient as and relentless, a word that you use a lot. Does it almost surprise you that that it happened that way? Well, not really with the situation, I guess, you know. Um, you, you, you know, I mean, I think that that was part of this, part of it as a situation. <clears throat> it's different than a normal situation. And, um, you know, so, but in saying that, it, it, you know, it is what it is. And, you know, but they, you know, the NHL did a great job of getting it going again. And, uh, you know, we just didn't, do, we didn't do a good enough job. What do you think, because of the uniqueness of this situation, do you have to almost put a different evaluation process on it when you try to evaluate whether 
a player's performance or just situational things and how they were handled? Yeah, I think so. You got to look at it all. I really do. Um, I wouldn't, you know, I'd look at the whole season, which was very successful the whole season. Uh, you know, we're in first place by the time we stopped. You know, everybody was, we did a pretty good job. We were missing one of our best players the whole year, and we still were in first place. Um, you know, you look at our scoring, we scored a lot of goals. We played good defense. Our goaltending was solid. So you got to look at the whole big picture, and it was pretty solid for most of the year. You know, I, we talked a lot about this during that game six, and and I know, especially knowing you in, in the approach, this is not this is not an excuse, but it's it, it is the different team that you had for game six this year versus say the team that you had to play in the Stanley Cup Finals a year ago. When you talk about Tarasenko, Bowmeister, Steen. And you know, other guy Barbashev missing for a chunk of this series as well. That you had, and then of course the players that have moved on to other organizations. It was a different team, and and does create some different dynamics that as a team uh, have to be worked through, doesn't it? Yeah, it definitely does. You know, we're obviously missing some players, but uh, you know, we had capable players doing a job in there. But you know, it is a different team in that game six than we had last year. So, um, but it is what it is. I mean. Again, you know, it's going to be a different team next year too. Probably, you know, there's going to be some changes, and we just we just got to, you know, learn from this experience, and and we got to learn. You know, for me, is we went there and we didn't perform as a team, and that's the biggest thing I'm going to take from this. When you go and you want to play in the playoffs and you want to be successful, you have to perform as a team. You can't have certain individuals performing at a high level and doing a job, and then other people not performing at a high enough level. You won't win. And you got to perform as a team. And the biggest thing I'll take out of this whole playoff is we didn't perform well enough as a team. Can it be hard to make that happen in such a short situation? Well, you know, it can be, I think. Um, <clears throat> you know, I just I look back at uh, phase two and and, you know, we didn't have a ton of guys skating together and everybody was kind of scattered all over, you know, guys coming in at certain times and later and all that. And it's, it's not easy just to get everything going in two or three weeks. You know, it takes time. And, um, you know, so like I said, we just, you know, we, we quite didn't get together as a team good enough. And, uh, you know, unfortunately we're out. When you look at some of the positives and things that we saw in a guy like Ryan O'Reilly, who you've been asked a lot about, Craig, when you look over your time, you know, even even starting kind of as the assistant coach when Ryan O'Reilly is here, the associate head coach, I should say, and then, you know, and then as the head coach throughout last year and then this year, what makes him an enjoyable guy to coach and be a part of the team? Well, I think he just does whatever we ask of him, and he's a real, you know, solid team guy. He doesn't, you know, he never complains. He works hard. You never have to ask him to work harder or compete because he's always doing that. Um, you know, and just his intelligence as a player, you know, to see how smart he is. And, again, he's always in the right position, doing the right thing for the team. A young guy like Zach Sanford, uh, how did you view what he brought to the table over the course of these playoffs from our standpoint on a monitor in, in Maryland Heights as best we could uh, do, do some tracking? It, it looked like the compete level was a, uh, much more consistent for him throughout a series of games. 
Oh, definitely. He, he's come a long way as a player this year, in my opinion. You know, started to get the scoring touch going. And, uh, you know, his compete level was up high, you know, on a consistent basis and his work ethic. And, you know, you know, he's been playing with Ryan O'Reilly and Ferran for quite some time. You learn to compete hard playing with those guys because they're very competitive players. So from a skill question for you, how do you coach a guy and, and continue development of a player like that's so tall, kind of lanky, and he's got that long reach, but shows that he's got the hands and the ability to make some moves, which is very different from a kind of a much more compact, speedy Jaden Schwartz, for example? Yeah, just a different style of player. Like he's more of a power forward, I'd say. Um, once he once he even gets stronger than he is, he's going to be a better player. He still has uh, room to grow his, uh, his strength and size. And, you know, he's the type of guy that's more, you know, around the net's going to score more goals in tight. He does have a good release, though, on a sneaky pull-in shot, uh, which he beats some goalies. But he's he'll control the puck below the goal line and, and, and walk it out and be around the net and, and power play stuff. He'll be around the net. So And, he, and what uh, Zach is, he's a, he's a smart player. He's um, very good defensively. So that's a, that's a bonus. Yeah, we're talking with the head coach of the St. Louis Blues, Craig Berube, here as we kind of put a little bit of a wrap on this season and, and the playoffs that the St. Louis Blues just finished up in the bubble in Edmonton. What is the next big step in pro- the progression and development of Robert Thomas? Well, I think um, just being a more consistent player to both ends of the ice for sure would be one. Um, you know, he's worked – he played a full season pretty much at center. So, you know, his face-off got better and stuff. But what he has to learn to do is to shoot more and become more of a scorer. I think if you're just a passer, uh, over time, teams will take you away and they'll do their – they know you're not going to shoot, so they'll take the pass away. He's got to work on his shot. He's got to learn to get to shoot more and, and score some goals. And then the other thing is just um, executing the plays more. Um, he sees the plays. He tries to make them. It's just they're not executing enough yet. And we saw some opportunities where it looked from our vantage point like he could have driven the net, maybe even at that point draw a penalty or shoot the puck. Can it be difficult to convince somebody like that 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 is that that wants to be unselfish, that that wants to create plays, to change that philosophy to shoot more? Well, it'll take a little time, but he's he, he's a good learner. He's a smart kid, and he knows we've been on him, and, and he's gotten better at it. So. Like you said, you know, taking the puck to net a little bit more yourself and then and driving it in there and creating some opportunities that way. So he's a smart kid. He'll learn. Craig, Justin Falk uh, throughout the year, it, it looked even, – even for a guy that was playing 20-something minutes a game, it was a guy that you could put with some different pairings and different guys uh, throughout the year depending on the needs. Did you ever feel like you found a comfortable home and role for him just with the way the season went? It was tough at times, I think, with them three righties over there. Um, I thought that him and Dunner played some real good hockey together at the end of the, at the end of the season there. So I would say that that was a real good spot for him there. I thought they did a good job. How do you assess Vince Dunn right now? Well, you know, again, I, I'm going to go over the course of the season. I think that, you know, he probably, you know, I think he's still improving and, and there's still room to grow for him. Uh, especially without the puck being more aggressive uh, defensively. But he's a dynamic player, and, and consistency will come into play. I mean, it takes D-man a little bit more time. 
but he's, he's got to become more of a consistent player. Uh, we know that Doug Armstrong has uh, some decisions to make roster-wise, and uh, and we'll leave that in his office. But from your vantage point, as, as a guy that is coached in the American Hockey League and obviously had Jordan Bennington down there as an example for a little while, what are you seeing? And then you had Billy Huso up with the club throughout this uh, this pause and this run. What are you seeing from Billy Huso, and are you seeing some positive signs that, that tell you he's knocking on the door and getting ready? Yeah, for sure. He's he's what do you think he played three years in American league now? So he's got a lot of development there. And, um, you know, just watching him in practice, very competitive guy, very structured goalie. And that got a lot of talent. Um, and you know, but he, he lets the puck hit him, you know, he, he doesn't over, you know, extend anything. Like he, he's not all over the place. He's pretty solid, pretty square and he's a competitive guy. So, he, he's he's close and you know if not ready right now can it be tough for a guy that's used to playing down in the minor leagues to come up and, and then and eventually back up in the NHL to begin with or is that just something well, that okay it might be but they got to learn how to do it yeah I mean it's, it's part of you know the learning process too is you know backups have to be real good nowadays in the NHL they're going to play quite a few games or they got to win games for you it's very important so um you know, like I said, he hasn't done it yet, but he's. I think he's right there and ready to go. So, what is next for you as, as the head coach? What What is on your schedule, and 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 what is on your horizon? Well, I'm going to go home and uh, just spend some time with the family here for a little while. And uh, you know, we had talked with coaches and, and Doug Armstrong about things. And uh, you know, we're you know we just we. I don't think there's a whole lot of you know, changes uh, that we want to make as coaches. Coaches, that we, we play a good system. We like our system. Uh, the players like our system. So it's just about executing and going out there and executing. That's basically what it all boils down to. And, you know, we're getting that team game back, we didn't have that in playoffs, I didn't feel. So that'll be important, getting everybody on track. And we like to use everybody in our lineup. How critical is the, to the success of that system is guys like, Jordan Cairo finding another level to be able to take on a role. Huge. You know, we got some young guys that are coming up here and we're going to need them and we got to get them involved and get them going. And they got to, they got to also do the job for us. You know, that's part of it. Give and take. It's going to be almost as unusual of an off season from a timing standpoint as that, as, as everything else we've lived for the last five months, isn't it? Definitely. <laughs> yeah, it'll be a little bit different, but, uh, you know, be home for some of the winter, I guess, I guess, or fall, which is unusual. Normally, in the, you know, in the hockey season and going by then, but, uh, you know, it's different for for right now, just like the world. Yeah, and I got to think as coaches when you like to plan and, you know, at least like to schedule ahead and, you, and you're thinking ahead even as you're trying to relax. I'm not sure the coaches ever completely get away from things. Uh, I, I've got to think the – one of the real unique added challenges too is we truly don't know when the next season is going to start. We have an idea, we have a hope, but I guess we really don't know for sure, which also adds to some of the uncertainty of everything. Yeah, we don't, you're right. Um, we're, that's still up in the air. And like I said, we're just going to have to wait and see what happens. 
It's a uh, it, it's a unique situation, uh, to say the least. Craig, listen, we appreciate your time so much. I know uh, you met with us broadcasters every game day, which was just invaluable for us to be able to help do our jobs, and we know it just added to the you know list of things you had to do on a game day up there in the bubble amongst everything else. But uh, it, it's greatly appreciated by us. And, you know, from all the fans out there, too, thanks for, uh, thanks for everything. Uh, we hope you have a terrific uh, few weeks off here until we can get things rolling again, and, and we'll be in touch and talk real soon. You got it, Curbs. Thanks for having me on, bud. That is the head coach of the St. Louis Blues, Craig Berube, and we'll take a break. Come back with more in a moment here on 101 ESPN. All right, we welcome you back into the Boardwalk Hardwood Floors Behind the Bench show, our final show. We're going to put the show on the shelf for a little while and then kick it back in as we start to get closer to the next season. When that's going to be, well, that's yet to be determined, to be honest with you. But let's talk it over with Blues General Manager and President of Hockey Operations, Doug Armstrong, and... Doug, this time of the year is always tough. Uh, I guess we all experienced how great it was to make sure you win that final game of the year. That that was a lot more fun, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the the ending this year was, was very very anticlimactic to to what we've experienced in the past, and now we have to find a way to to get back to that positive feeling. Does the fact that it happened in the first round versus later rounds bother you more? Uh, I think losing any time bothers me. So, uh, you know, it, 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 there's a, I don't want to say embarrassment of losing in the first round, but when you have high expectations and you, you want to sort of verify your, your status in the league and, and losing in the first round obviously doesn't verify what we believe is our status in the league and, and that should motivate us moving forward. I know it's only been a couple of days. Uh, what have you been able to wrap your head around so far in terms of why things turned out the way they did? Well, I, I think if you you, you break a, a hockey uh, game into into four parts, uh, you have your five on five play, power play, penalty kill, and goaltending. I thought in the in the uh, in the Vancouver series, our five on five play was was strong and, and probably uh, you know ahead of Vancouver. And I thought they 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 may have won the other three facets of the of the of the game. And it's very difficult if you're not going to to win at least two of those four facets that uh, that you'll move on. Doug, how much how much was do you think the play in the first three games impacted the play in the first round? I, I don't think uh, a lot, quite honestly. I thought uh, in the first three games, you know, we were we were ahead and I think uh, leading in the third period, and and uncharacteristically, we we were able to close those games out. But I, I thought, quite honestly, uh, Curbs as, as the time in the bubble. Uh, went on, we became much more comfortable, much more focused on where we were. I thought game, as I said, you could go back to game one, it's 3-3, and, uh, um, you know, we lose that one. Uh, game two is a game that, that could have gone either way. You know, we win three and four, and then five, we're up we're up 3-1, uh, can't make it 4-1. So I thought there was actually a lot of good play in that series, but just not timely goals or timely saves. I know hindsight's twenty twenty. Are there ways that you felt that you, as a group, could have handled the bubble situation better? Uh, as I said, I thought once we got into the bubble, it was uh, it was everybody's focus got lasered in, and uh, the, the guys understood why we were there. I thought that the hardest part for us was phase three, which was getting everyone into St. Louis and, and training. Uh, we had, you know, twenty percent of our, our uh, normal roster had been affected by COVID from the pause to the starting back up. And, 
you have four or five guys that are having babies or just had babies. There's a lot going on in your mind. And again, I'm not making excuses. This is just the reality of, of where we are in society that one day it doesn't affect young people. One day it does affect young people. One day it doesn't affect kids. One day it does affect kids. And I think there was a lot, in, a lot going on in people's minds. I thought that got lessened uh, exponentially when we got into the bubble. Yeah, that, that would make sense, especially with as well as the, the National Hockey League managed things going in. How much do you think those players impacted with COVID? And I know when you met with the media earlier today, you mentioned that none of them were asymptomatic. At least they should, each one of them seemed to show some symptom of some sort. How, how much do you think that impacted either their conditioning levels going in or frankly even their conditioning levels and recovery during the, the process? Well, I think that because of when that when they contracted the virus, uh, they, they had to quarantine at home uh, for a number of days. And you're not allowed to do training at that point. Uh, not, not even if you want to, uh, the, the medical people say, you know, don't overexert yourself during that time. So whatever gains they had made uh, getting prepared for, for phase three, I thought they took a step back uh, as, as they tried to get healthier. Uh, I talked to, uh, you know, all, all four guys had some some symptoms. They none, none of them were asymptomatic, as we talked about. Uh, one of the players that had it said he still didn't feel great. Uh, he felt sluggish uh, at different times during the tournament, and uh, so I, I think it affected our team. Now we might find, when all this is said and done, that every team had the same the same problems or same effect. I know Tampa Bay early on shut down their program because they had a lot of guys affected, and they're still playing. So I, I think it affected uh, it affected the guys, but I don't think it's an excuse that uh, is going to hold water uh, moving forward. In the sense that we weren't the only one that had to deal with all these things getting ready for Phase Four. Keeping things at, at a general level at, at the moment here, uh, as we talk with the Blues general manager and president of hockey operations, Doug Armstrong. Doug, can you? With the uniqueness of the return to play, the uniqueness of the bubble and everything, can you use these games and this time for any good level of evaluation? Uh, I, I think that you you have to. We have to be careful that we we can't we can't put our head in the sand and say, well, it wasn't it wasn't uh, an evaluation period. Every every day is an evaluation period in, in pro sports, whether it's a practice or a game. Uh, so we, we have to, to to evaluate how we played there and why we weren't able to hold leads and why certain things didn't go. But you also don't want to eliminate the 70 or 71 games, whatever we played. Uh, you know, that that's also an indication of who we are and what we stand for and what we believe in. So there there has to be there has to be some evaluation uh, looking at it, but we're, we're not just going to discount it and, and say that uh, act like uh, it didn't happen. Before we talk about some specific players and situations, I, I, I know you touched on this a little bit, but I, I wanted to dig in a little bit more with you on it because I found it a fascinating response or at least a topic earlier. Coming, Having, having been in the United States and, and all the issues that we're dealing with COVID, and maybe this takes you out of your role as general manager a little bit with this answer, so maybe more just a discussion, I guess. And then going up into Canada and in a bubble where the league did so well, I mean, the testing was so stringent. The, the rules were such that, I mean, the, the level of safety that you guys must have felt had to be immense. And then to come back into the United States, where, as you mentioned before, it just depends on who you're watching and who you're listening to and how things are changing. Like how 
How do you personally just kind of look at this and, and view view the challenges ahead now for yourself, the National Hockey League, the players, the organization, and frankly, everybody having experienced drastically different things? Yeah, well, I would say the safety that we felt in that bubble, uh, I would have felt that in St. Louis or in, like, if, if they had done this in Philadelphia or Vegas or wherever, they made it so secure and so safe, I would have felt fine no matter where we were. Uh, you know, now there wasn't a lot of, of COVID in, in Canada and, and not a lot in Alberta, a little spikes here and there. Uh, but com- coming back home now, uh, we haven't changed our lifestyle in the sense that it's been to the rink, two meetings at home. Uh, it's not, we haven't gone back into what could be normal society yet. And, and I don't plan on doing that quite honestly for a while. That's just me personally. I want to, I want to uh, treat this uh, pandemic with the respect. I think it, it, it's, it's earned, uh, but it, it certainly is different and it's going to be different. I think for everyone moving forward, uh, you know, we had, I think seven or eight players that stayed in Canada after our last game uh, going to their fall homes now because if they had to come back to St. Louis, they'd have to go in quarantine for another 14 days. So things aren't normal. And I guess that's what I'm saying. Like, like the new normal is still abnormal for me. And we, we have to find a way to to, to get comfortable in, in preparing ourselves and, and the way we, we act, interact in, in day-to-day society to make sure that this gets behind us sooner than later. Earlier today, uh, when you met with the media, you told everybody that Vladimir Tarasenko is going to have to have another surgery, that he won't even be re-evaluated for yet another five months. Um, how, I almost hate that word, how frustrating or disappointing, because we could all we all know exactly how that is for a player mentally have, having to go through that. But organizationally, and, and as you structure it and how you look at it, uh, what concerns do you have moving forward along those lines? Well, I would say my concerns are... are Fully for Vladi right now. I, I, the frustration that he's feeling right now uh, on being back in the same spot he was in October, it, I can only imagine what's going through his mind right now. We're trying to lend him support and and uh, that, that we're going to be here for him uh, through the surgery and, and through the rehab and get him back going. I think organizationally, the one thing that we were able to to come out the other side on was we didn't have him for, for 60 of our 70 games and we were still a competitive team. So we know that we can we we can tread water or even do a little bit better than treading water when he's not there. But uh, as a person, as a player, you know where he's at in his age and his career, it's a it's a huge time for him. And my 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 thoughts are with him right now. And uh, I just want what's good for Vladdy, uh, you know, to get to the point where he feels very comfortable getting back on the ice and being that dominant player that that he was in the past. Any worry in the back of your head uh, about the number of surgeries mounting? For sure. I, I mean, it'd be disingenuous to say that three three uh, surgeries on the same area of the body is, is normal. It's not normal. Uh, but on the positive side, I know how hard he works off the ice, and I know the dedication that he has to, to the rehab process, that you know he's going to give himself the best opportunity to return to who he, who he uh, was prior. We're talking with Blues General Manager and President of Hockey Operations, Doug Armstrong, here on the Boardwalk Car with Floors Behind the Bench Show. When we come back, we'll continue with Doug. We'll get into Justin Falk, some of the younger players, and, of course, the situation with Alex Petrangelo. That's all coming up as we continue with the Boardwalk Car with Floors Behind the Bench Show 
right here on 101 ESPN. Well, welcome back into tonight's edition of the Boardwalk Harbor Floors Behind the Bench Show. I'm Chris Kerber. Glad to have you with us, and thanks for tuning in every Wednesday night during the hockey season, and of course to the pause to the show. A big thanks to Boardwalk Harbor Floors for their title sponsorship of the program. We're continuing with the president of hockey operations and general manager of the St. Louis Blues, Doug Armstrong. And Doug, do you think or feel that over the course of this season, the first full season for Justin Falk with the St. Louis Blues, that he had a home, that they had a specific role with the team? Uh, no, I, I would say that, uh, you know, Falker came here and, uh, you know, we didn't really find a, a job responsibility that he could sink his teeth into. And it's very difficult. Uh, he A, he's coming into a team that just had success. Uh, he wants to be a good teammate. He doesn't want to ruffle feathers. The coaches obviously have a comfort level with the guys that are here because they just had success with them. And I thought he handled a very difficult situation well, uh, you know, from a personal standpoint and a teammate standpoint. Uh, but, you know, for him moving forward, he understands that he needs to take a bigger bite out of our group and we need to find a way to give him a bigger bite out of our group. Speaking of bigger bites out of the group, how critical are the steps of the younger players, uh, Jordan Cairo, uh, Sammy Blay, continued development of Zach Sanford, and and I think we probably should even throw Robert Thomas into that group. Yeah, and I think you have to throw Clem Costin into that group yep. too. I mean, uh, Nikola, Wallman, uh, Prunovich. Like we're, we're going to need younger players to take a bigger role as we move forward. Uh, the team is still going to be dominated uh, by Shannon O'Reilly, Perron, Schwartz, uh, up front and, and uh, Perenko and Falker uh, and, and hopefully Petro. Uh, you know, so our, our core is our core, but to to have success, uh, you know, like if you look at that Vancouver series, the uh, I thought I thought our top players, our, our best forwards, in my opinion, were were Perron, O'Reilly, Shannon, Schwartz. I don't think they got outplayed by Vancouver's best players. But also, you have to look at Mott scored a couple of goals. Uh, Roussel scored. Um, Beagle scored. So we have to find we have to find production from from deeper down our lineup that we didn't get in this series, and, and that's coming on. That's coming at at, uh, at, at the Sunquest Barbashevs. Uh, and now, as I said, that group of guys that we talked about have they have to take control of of, the, of their destiny. What is the role then with them, those younger guys, in terms of how to manage? the unknowns of what is now a unique off season, some decent time in it, but the actual timing a bit unknown. Well, and that's what I've tried to, you know, talking to veteran players, I'm able to use an analogy of a lockout where you, you think you're going to play and then you hear you might not play. And then, so you, you either put the foot on the gas or you take it off and then you put it back on. And then all of a sudden, you, you might think you're not going to play, and then the phone rings and says, okay, you have three days to be that city, you have a two-week training camp, and you're playing. So what I've tried to express to our veteran players that think of it as a lockout and, and the preparation that you're going to have to do and the mental strength that you're going to have to have knowing that you have to prepare like we're going to play uh, on this date, and if it's pushed back a week, it's pushed back a week, then hoping to get in shape in a week. Uh, younger players don't have that to refer back to, They've never been through a work stoppage or they've never had their, their season, you know, start, start, you know, for, for, for Robert Thomas, he's gone to training camp every year in his life from, from junior hockey to today. 
in August, and he's played in September, and and so he's never had to experience any anything like uh, uh, what he's going to experience next year. And, and what we're, we're trying to share our experience with these guys, but ultimately it's the professionals that they're going to have to have to, to get in great shape and to stay in great shape. And uh, when they when they do uh, hit the start button, it's not going to be a, a normal training camp where we're going to have seven or eight exhibition games and, and sort of be able to to wade into it. It's going to be a lot more like what we just went through. All right, as we, we finish up and wrap things up with the president and general manager of the St. Louis Blues, Doug Armstrong. Now, Ar- Army, what are the challenges, especially with the cap staying flat and the timing of things that you now face in your discussions and approach with Alex Petrangelo? Well, Alex... Uh... He's our captain. Uh, I, I said earlier, like uh, we got here about the, the same time where he got drafted. I think I started here in June first, and he got drafted later that June. Uh, so you know, he went back. He stayed with our team a little bit that first and second year, but then he's been a mainstay ever since. Uh, as as we've grown as our organization, he's grown on and off the ice. Uh, he would. I would love to see Alex uh, retire St. Louis Blue, and my focus is to to find a way to to check the things that are important to him. Uh, and also check the things that are important in the organization so we can have a competitive team. But he's the primary uh, focus that I have right now and and, and trying to make it work with him. Are you guys at the point where at least there's an understanding of what's important to both sides, or does that still have to be figured out? Uh, Well, I want to sit with with Alex, and we'll do all all these things behind closed doors. I think it's easier for for Alex and for the team just to – to go to work and, and uh, you know, let society move ahead. <laughs> and then when we get things done, we'll, we'll make announcements. Has uh, had, has COVID, this situation and the timing, almost caused a reset of discussions with free agents along those lines, Doug, just in terms to reevaluate if anything has changed on either side? Yeah, well, exactly. Like uh, this, this actually is going to be, the clearest negotiations we're going to have, not with Alex, but with any player, because uh, the their their escrow is set for the next number of years. We think the cap is going to stay relatively consistent for the next number of years. So there's no real gray area. Well, if I sign this and the cap goes from 81 to 5 to 87 to 94 to 101, am I getting left behind? I don't think anyone's getting left behind by, uh, you know, by huge increases over the next or foreseeable future. So I think it makes it a little bit easier uh, for both sides to, to, to see what they're dealing with. And, and uh, that's our goal is to sit with Alex and, and make sure he's, he's as comfortable as possible, allowing the team to, to put a competitive product on the ice so he can, he can continue to have success and, and go down as not only uh, the first captain uh, that, that, that won the Stanley cup here in St. Louis, but also a guy that played on uh you know, 15 or 1600 point teams. Does that cap staying flat force you to adjust how you were originally planning on approaching, not just Alex, but the overall direction of this team over the next couple of years, or is it just an adjustment where you have more clarity? Well, you have more clarity, but, but with clarity comes, yeah. And it, it, I guess it certainly does make an adjustment on what we're going to do. Uh, you could, you could view, uh, second contracts for younger players that, you know, do you, do you invest heavily understanding that they're going to grow into it? Uh, right now, that's probably not as likely as it was in the past uh, because you're, you know, 
you're robbing Peter to pay Paul. It's 81.5. It was 81.5 last year. It's probably going to be 81.5 next year. So it, it just there, there's an effect in everything we do uh, with the certainty of, of what we know. Do you look at buyouts as a resource or something you try to avoid? Well, I certainly try and avoid them uh, uh, as, as, as much as possible. You, you make a you make a commitment to a player. You want uh, you want to fulfill that commitment by giving them the opportunity to, to have success. Uh, and also, um, it is a business, and it's real money. It's real money from from our ownership group, and I've I've tried to treat their money like I would treat my money and. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't pay, I don't pay a lawn service not to come and do work, so I don't want to pay <laughs> hockey players not to come and do work. <laughs> at, at some point, I'm going to start writing down Doug Armstrong analogies because I like them. <laughs> <laughs> Last thing for you, Doug, and thank you so much for giving us some time today on this. What, having had to go up and experience uh, playoff hockey without fans, how how much are you looking forward to to the opportunity of us getting some fans back in the stands? I, I am so excited about playing in front of uh, our fans and playing on the road in front of hostile fans. Uh, I found it quite honestly, Curbs, it was it was interesting being in the bubble that you think you would go to every game and be in every game. I enjoyed watching the games much more on television than I did being at the games. Not our games, obviously. I love being at, but but watching the other teams, uh, it's just it's the, the league is doing a great job with with manufacturing crowd noise. Um, and, and trying to make it feel with with uh, uh, fan bases on, on 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 big screens coming in, but it, it's way different. It, it's nothing like uh, we've experienced. And I give I give the the twenty four teams now eight teams a ton of credit for for buckling into doing what's what was asked of them on the ice. But it it's a, just a huge difference. Uh, just little things that you and I go through all the time. Like you know, it's a it's a it's an eight forty five start. I'm at the hotel in Edmonton. I left my room at eight thirty-five. Yeah. You know, like I, I wasn't going through crowds of people. I wasn't, you know what I mean. You just go there and you sit there and you're, and 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 at those eight forty-five starts, you know, a lot of teams were like me. They they thought watching the games on television was you might be getting more out of them. So you look around the rink and you're in overtime and it's eleven thirty at night and you look around and you and Vancouver are the only staff in the building. <laughs> it's wow. a strange feeling. Yeah, dude, it definitely was weird. Well, Army, a heck of a job by the team to get it going up there. I know it didn't end the way we wanted it to, but uh, thank you so much for giving us the time, your candidness, your your time over the course of the year. And uh, before too long, we'll be talking to you about free agency, the draft coming up, and and a whole lot more. So uh, no, no time to rest, which is probably good and fun for us. We had enough of that in the middle of the summer. So thank you so much, and we'll talk to you real soon. Perhaps thanks a lot for having me. I always enjoy talking to you and, and – uh... Stay healthy, take care of you and your family, and uh, I look forward to chatting with you again real soon. We will do it. Uh, That is the president and general manager of the St. Louis Blues, Doug Armstrong. A big thank you to Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. Again, if you're tired of looking at stained carpet and scuffed vinyl, we would love to help you increase the style and the value of your home with Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. When considering new flooring in your home, real wood is the healthiest option and provides the best long-term value. Boardwalk is a local family-owned business providing quality floors in our community for more than 22 years. Boardwalk has great floors for every home with better selection, better value, and the best service. Don't just take our word for it. Check out the reviews on Google. Visit one of our three area showrooms and online at Boardwalk Hardwood. 
Com. They are the title sponsor of this show. They are the reason we were able to bring you behind the bench all season long. And as we take a small off-season hiatus, we'll kick the show back off as we head into next season. So again, a big thank you to Boardwalk Hardwood Floors, to you for tuning in, to Mike Ryder for helping with the production of the show along with Alex Ferrario, and to everybody that helped us bring this show to you throughout this current season. Have a great off-season. Have a terrific start to your fall. Keep the kids healthy. Keep the kids safe. Let's keep them learning till we can get them back in school, and we'll pull through this together. We'll work through it together and have a great start, hopefully, to the 2020-2021 NHL season sometime in early December. Thanks again for tuning in here on 101 ESPN.